We've got one last violent clash. Today I'm talking about episode 10 of Fargo, Morton's Fork. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today I am talking about the finale of Fargo's first season, Morton's Fork. And uh, a lot happens in this episode, so the summary is going to be a bit longer, and then we're also wrapping a lot of our uh, themes and characters up, so this might be the longest episode of our little breakdowns, but I hope you enjoy it. There's something that's both nice and too bad about an anthology series. It means every season of the show is a simple, condensed story, which is great, because it prevents any individual concept from stretching too far. But it also means this is probably the last we're going to hear from characters we like, like Molly and Gus. So does Fargo wrap up in a satisfying way? I'd argue yes. After witnessing Malville kill Linda, Lester waits until Malville leaves, and then enters the building to get his money from the safe. However, he changes his mind and decides to head to Lou's diner to create a cover story and tip off the police. Lou mentions someone was looking for Lester, just as Lester realizes he left a plane ticket in his jacket that's now on Linda's corpse. Molly is called at home to investigate the murderer and pieces together that Lester was the intended target. Lester pretends to break down and attempts to retrieve the ticket, but it doesn't work. As the FBI agents and Molly put together a game plan and look to question Lester, Malvo listens in and makes a plan of his own, and breaks into the FBI agent's car when they arrive. Lou drops in on Molly to tell her about his weird customer who matches Malvo's description. When he can't convince Molly to drop the case, he says he'll stay on watch on her porch until it's over. Molly, Bill, and the FBI agents question Lester, who lawyers up when he can't dance around questions. Molly warns him of what's coming. Malvo's not going to stop. At the grimly Salverson residence, Gus is surprised to find Lou on his porch, who tells him Malvo is back. Gus takes off towards Molly and begs her to run her operation from the safety of her office, when he notices a wolf in the middle of the road, and a car matching the description Lou gave earlier. Gus then scopes the place out and enters the cabin as he sees Malvo leave. Molly meets with Chief Oswald, who announces his intent to retire, and to recommend Molly for the job. She says she'll think it over, and then goes back to run her trap for Malvo with Lester as bait. Meanwhile, Malvo uses the book he stole from the FBI agents to call off backup and get their names. He then grabs a car for a test drive, with clear intent to use it for malicious purposes. Lester is then escorted from the station and tries to plead his case to Molly, who's not buying and offers him a riddle. The FBI agents take Lester home, who gathers up Chaz's hunting gear. Back at the Salverson Grimley residence, Greta chats with Lou and joins him with a rifle of her own. Thinking it's too quiet, Molly decides to head for Lester's house. At Lester's house, things go downhill in a hurry as Malvo tricks the two FBI agents with a misdirect and then sets his sights on Lester. Malvo steps in a bear trap, though, set up by Lester, and hits Lester with his award, but the two fail to shoot each other, despite exchanging gunfire. Malvo retreats to tend to his wound. But as he tries to treat the wound, Gus emerges from the shadows and tells him he solved his riddle and shoots Malvo five times to make sure he's dead. Molly arrives and comforts Gus, who shows her Malvo's tapes, including 
Lester's confession. Two weeks later, Lester is on the run near Montana and attempts to outrun the Border Patrol before driving a snowmobile onto unsafe ice and falling into his death, as foreshadowed in the opening shot. Molly gets the news over the phone while Gus shares that he's getting a citation for bravery. When Gus says Molly should be getting it, Molly notes that she doesn't need it. She's going to be chief. End of season. So let's go into the Fargo and Coen Brothers stuff. The finale here plays a out a lot like other Coen Brothers films, with visual and dialogue references from No Country to Old Men to Blood Simple and the original film, for instance, The Cabin by the Lake as the hideout for Lester. But the two I want to point out are Molly's coded message to Lester and Malvo himself. Right before Lester leaves police custody, he tries to plead what a, plead his case for what a moral nice guy he is to Molly. Molly obviously doesn't believe him and responds with a story or riddle. It's about a man who drops a glove as he gets on a train. The train is pulling away and there's no time to stop or get the glove. Instead of being stuck with one glove, the man throws the second one out, so at least someone can have a full pair. The key here is that despite solving the fox, the rabbit, and the cabbage riddle with ease, Lester can't solve this. Because it requires human connection and selflessness he doesn't have. Lester would never think of this, but Molly would because, well, there's more to this world than a little bit of money. And then we get to Malvo. Much like Anton Chigurh, Malvo demonstrates a scary level of self-reliance, even after getting his leg snapped with a bear trap. Even this isn't enough to completely kill him or truly slow him down. You can't run from something or someone like that. You have to face it head on like Gus does. Which brings us to the episode's title. The title for today's episode is Morton's Fork, which is considered a false dilemma in which a contradictory observations lead to the same conclusion. The idea came about when Archbishop John Morton rationalized a tax increase by saying the poor could afford it because they were used to living frugally, and the rich could afford it because they were rich. As far as I understand it, it's faulty or contradictory logic that ends in bad results either way. This applies to a lot of characters in the episode, but I believe the primary reference point is Lester, because he keeps hitting a bunch of Morton's Fork scenarios throughout the episode. Basically, Lester keeps trying to make choices that will get him out of this scenario and out of legal and life-threatening trouble, and instead keeps digging himself into deeper holes. At first, taking his money and going seems like a good solution, but a flash of Malvo in his head indicates that facing his problems head-on is a better idea. So he conjures a news story on the fly and calls the police, which he quickly realizes is a bad idea because the ticket in his coat will implicate him. Then he tries to grab the ticket, but grabbing it will make him suspicious, but not grabbing it will make him suspicious. It's suspicious enough that he's brought in for questioning, so he tries to walk his way out of it. But he can't, because everyone, including Bill Oswald, is against him now. So he should talk to the FBI and make sure he stays alive. But he doesn't want to do that, because he still wants to run. Molly has realized and accepted what Lester can't. That one way or another, he's doomed. He's either going to jail, or he's going to die. Every other choice or plan will blow up in his face, so you fought off Malvo? Too bad, because a wounded Malvo is how they finally pin your wife's murder on you. Want to run to avoid the border patrol? Well, you're on thin ice, literally, and bye, Lester. Even after all he's done, Lester could have lived. Perhaps not well, but he could have lived. 
but his insistence that he can do everything by himself and find a way out by himself doomed him from the start. The other Morton's Fork scenarios in this episode involve two equally bad choices, specifically for Molly and Gus. On Molly's end, she's torn between her moral duty and her obligations to her family. Her family desperately wants her to stay safe and keep her and her unborn baby alive. But her instincts are too strong to ignore, and she still heads to Lester's house. She may be putting herself in danger, but she can't let another person like Vern get killed. For Gus, he can't lose another woman he loves and have his daughter lose another mother. And none of his options are great. He can tell Molly not to pursue Lester or Malvo, but he knows she will. So he can wait, or put himself in danger, which also puts his family at risk. But Gus's biggest fork is deciding how to handle Malvo. Based on his wound, it doesn't seem like Malvo is going anywhere anytime soon. But Gus has also realized Molly won't let it go until Malvo is killed or captured. So he has to act like Malvo would to stop him. Stalk his prey and take him out when he's at his weakest, like a human predator, like a human predator, like Malvo would. Hence why he says he's solved the riddle. He believes he needs to become a predator to stop one. So let's get to Malvo's end. It's very interesting to see how Malvo operates once the local authorities take him seriously. And frankly, he's still scary. He's a masterful tactician. For instance, the way he gets the FBI backup called off is pretty impressive. Still a dead shot and willing to use people's kindness against him. But he's not the unstoppable force in nature he was anymore, mainly because his prey knows he's coming. Gus is on the lookout for from minute one. And I find it very fitting that Malvo is essentially taken out by the monsters he created. The Lester we knew at the beginning of the show would never have been able to plant a trap or fight back. But now he's trying to act like a hunter and gives Malvo his worst wound to date. And then there's Gus, the guy who tracks and takes out Malvo exactly like Malvo would, with guidance from wolves no less. I know some people see the wolf as a, like a signal that says, hey, the human wolf is here. But personally, I think the wolf is helping Gus take out a rabid wolf or hunter down and reclaiming the wolf's name. It's a little more poetic that way for me. Malvo challenged Gus to recognize what he was and in essence how to stop him. So Gus, as much as he didn't want to do it, shoots Malvo in cold blood. And it's kind of a perfect irony that the humanity that Malvo has exploited for so long is precisely why Gus tracks him down and kills him. Gus's desire to protect his family against monsters like Malvo is what gets Malvo gunned down. Not, not, not that Malvo left Bemidji unscathed. So let's get to Bill's monologue, Bill Oswald's. After his scolding via the FBI, Bill's, Bill Oswald's demeanor is notably demure in this episode. He lets Lester say goodbye to Linda, but he doesn't let him touch the body. He refuses to back up Lester during his interrogation. He steps back and lets Molly run the show. And in his monologue, where he tells Molly that he's going to retire and give Molly his job, he finally says what he's been hinting at all season out loud. He can't handle the job. Not just because he's forced to deal with gross things, but because it's staying with him and making it hard to sleep at night. He's having trouble processing humanity's capacity for cruelty and violence. He sees what Molly was trying to show him and how good she is at it, finally. But it makes all of Bill's decisions throughout the series fall into place. 
He wanted simple answers that kept his worldview safe. It's still a fault, but it's an understandable one. He'd wanted to believe that people are good deep down, and he wanted to maintain any semblance of that. Being a police chief isn't a position for you, though. I was quickly reminded of Vern's comment on why Molly would be chief over Bill. Vern makes a crack about Bill not having the stomach for crime scenes or how bad he is about getting a gun out of his holster, but Vern was still right. He didn't have the stomach for this job. And a year later, Bill knows it too. And now we get to Lou, because Lou is the shit. I liked Lou from the start. He always gave off a positive old school vibe in my mind. He's a guy that likes to work, loves his daughter, is a good guy, but doesn't act above anybody. And this episode has so many moments with Lou that I absolutely love, so many that I'm just going to have to list them. His attempt to talk Molly out of pursuing the case is well-intentioned, but even he knows it's not going to work. He just tries because he knows he should. His decision to immediately head back to the family home to defend my granddaughter in a clear reference to Greta, whom he's barely known for a year, I love that so much. It's heartwarming shit. He's a good-ass dude. Gus's confusion and when he sees Lou and yet full trust in him when he goes towards Molly. The smile Molly gives when Gus reveals Lou is on the porch with a shotgun is stupid cute. Gotta love a man of his word, indeed. And then Lou sharing stories with Greta and saying, that's my girl, after she grabs a weapon of her own to take the first shot. Also, for reasons I can't get into now, I love the not thing, but we'll have to get to season two for that. Just by being a good guy looking out for his family, Lou surged into one of my favorite characters in this season, in this episode. And finally, Molly and Gus find peace. Ever since Malva entered their world, Molly and Gus haven't had peace. Molly needs justice for her friend, and Gus needs to make sure Malvo is stopped. You have to try, don't you? For Molly, this also means she gets to do things right. She gets to call shots, make plans, investigate and interrogate, and try to defend the public. With Bill stepping down, both literally and figuratively, Molly is stepping up and coming into her own. And hopefully, she'll be able to get justice. And Gus, unintentionally, gives her precisely that. Molly has never been about vengeance. She's got a read on who or what Malvo is, but she clearly wants to solve it like a good cop does. But Gus, who notably isn't a cop anymore, doesn't think a good cop is what this situation needs. He's seen Malvo's shapeshift right in front of him. He knows how easily he could escape if there's any kind of opening. In his head, there's only one way to solve the problem, shooting Malvo. Which in turn gives Molly the vindication she's been searching for all season a tape of Lester's confession. Seriously, watch her reactions as she hugs Gus and then she hears Lester's tape. The second reaction is the big one. Because after that, she can let it go and let other people take care of it. After all of that chaos and eventually Lester's self-inflicted demise, Molly and Gus can get cozy on the couch with Greta and just be a family. Though Molly notes she doesn't need a commendation because she gets to be chief. So maybe now... She has everything she needs. And just a few final little details from this episode that I like. First, uh, Lester gets his nose smashed in the same place as it did in episode one. Second, not sure where Lester got another version of his coat, but he did just before he fell through the ice. Whether you interpret it as a hunter being hunted or how you handle a giant predator like a wolf or a bear, a giant trap grabbing Malvo is thematically on point. This episode also confirms that watching Deal or No Deal is a fam family affair in the Grimley Salverson house. 
Uh, you can tell Lou doesn't buy Lester's story when he keeps repeating the bit about ginger ales because Lou is awesome. Martin Freeman's breakdown is so fake and gross when he goes over Linda's corpse, it's perfectly acted. And really don't know why Lester doesn't think there isn't video of him in the elevator in Vegas, but I'm sure there is. Bill Budge's existential crisis before getting shot is just so funny and cruel at the same time. It's a great way for Key and Peele to go out. I also like how this episode visually pieces together Gus realizing he saw Malvo as he like replays the memory over and over again. And of course, Lester solves the fox, the rabbit, and the cabbage riddle. He basically did it in the last episode. And more heavy foreshadowing for season two in 1979 with Lou's stories with Greta. And finally, the car salesman is the same guy who didn't want life insurance in the first episode. Hopefully he made it home safe. And I'd like to think he did, because Malvo seemed to have a thing for letting parents off with the warning. So that concludes our coverage of Fargo uh, season one, sorry, episode 10 in particular. Uh, Let me know what you think. And if you'd like more breakdowns of TV shows like this, let me know. Thank you as always for listening, and I'll catch you next time, everybody. Thanks.